Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. So I started into my sermon this week, and I was like halfway in sermon prep on the deep dive into the parable of the sower. Very excited to share the message God gave me with you, but not today. Uh, I, Pastor Jay came into my office Tuesday and said, hey, we got a problem. Uh, you preached too long for what we need to do on Sunday. So uh, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He was way more, but that's what I heard. Um, no, he said, we have a lot of people getting baptized. And uh, yes, that's an amazing, amazing, that's the problem a pastor wants to have. Uh, we baptized, I don't know, somewhere near 20 in the first service, and I think we've got near 30 for this service. Uh, yeah. So, and that's not included. I think there's 10 at St. Stephen today. I think there's upwards of 10. at West. It's just happening all over. I think we're going to have near 70 or more people today be baptized. So, really exciting. So, the baptism will be the sermon today, and I have learned in my almost 20 years of ministry experience and in my decade of preaching, the absolute most powerful sermons are baptisms. It's, it's just, a, it's a declaration and a sermon right in front of you. And so I just want to take like 15 minutes, and I, t- I promise you I'm going to be super fast, but I want to just sort of give some explanation as to what is happening when we do this strange custom called baptism. And just for those of you who got drugged here by a family member because they're getting baptized, I want to acknowledge to you how bizarre this is. (laughs) Anybody ever, like, get so comfortable in your home and with your family that you forget how weird you are? (laughs) And it takes, like, a guest coming in and saying, why do you all do that? You are strange. What are you doing? Baptism is definitely one of those things that, like, we as Christians, is perfectly normal. I grew up. I've seen literally thousands of people baptized, and we forget how weird it is to come into a room where there's a, a kind of pool, but not really, and we see people dunked in and come back up, and everyone celebrates, and then we forget that, you know, maybe to the outside looking in, that's really bizarre. And so I want to take a minute and just unpack why this is so substantial for the individuals that are getting baptized and so significant for us as a church family. Like, this is everything to us. This is why we do what we do. Jesus told us, like, the last marching orders he gave to the church, Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What? baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. This is like the pinnacle. This is like how we know, at least in some part, we're doing what the Master asked us. And that his gospel and his kingdom is still going forward today, even 2,000 years after he said that to his church. Isn't that amazing? And so I want to unpack just for a minute why this is so significant And I want to go back to the beginning, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, where the first baptisms began. If you go to the Old Testament, you're not going to find baptisms like we practice it. In fact, you're not going to find anything even close. Maybe the closest thing you'll find is the story of Naaman, the Syrian uh, army commander that had leprosy, and he dunked himself seven times in the Jordan. But you won't find anything like 
baptism like we do it. But we do have our roots in the Old Testament. The Jews had a practice where they would do a ceremonial bath called a mikvah. And a mikvah was just like a baptistry. You can actually see them when you're in Jerusalem and all through Israel, even ancient mikvahs, where there are these steps that go down into a little cauldron or cistern where it holds water, and they would regularly, weekly, monthly, depending on the occasion, go and ritually cleanse themselves so that they could be right with God. And this was something that the Jews practiced habitually. Then when you get to the New Testament, you have shooting forward from that, Jesus fulfilling that and reducing, or like doing away with the need to every single week do ritual cleansing because now we believe that he has cleansed us, amen, one sacrifice once and for all. And so he says now there is one baptism. This is why Paul said there's one church, one father, one Lord, one baptism, that we are baptized into the kingdom. And so we're following in the commands and the steps of Jesus quite literally and we hear him tell the disciples, go and make disciples, make more. And the way you do this is by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so for 2,000 years, y'all, we have been doing just that. But it's hard for us maybe to picture where it all began. So I want to read it, and then I'm going to show you a little Instagram video that I took while I was in Jerusalem a few weeks ago. But I want to read the first story of when baptisms, the practice of Christian baptism really began. And it's right here in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you know Acts 2, this is the story of the birth of the church where the Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised. And then immediately we find Peter the apostle goes out into the streets of Jerusalem in a very public space, which I'm going to show you on my, my crappy little video I took in just a second. It, it, isn't, it isn't good. It's not like A.J. Guptal quality. It's Brenning herself selfie quality. Bear with it. But Peter goes out to this public place and he declares the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? That, that God made everything and he made it good, but sin came into the world and corrupted us and severed our relationship from God. And without God, we are doomed to death and destruction and dysfunction. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, I'll say it again, someone believes today, but God, who is rich in mercy, looked upon us and solved our problem on, on our behalf by offering himself in our place and reconnecting us with him and dying in our place as an atoning, an atoning sacrifice so that we could be right with God. And that when we come to Jesus, we are born again into new life. And this is the gospel that Peter would have preached. Repent, turn to God, and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive salvation. And watch what it says in Acts chapter 2. Peter goes out and he says, he preaches the gospel. And then in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter preaches the gospel, and they're all moved in their hearts. Some of you know that feeling. Anybody remember the moment that the gospel just became undeniable to you? You were cut to the heart, penetrated at the deepest part of your soul, and you had to respond. This is what's happening. Brothers, what should we do? And look what Peter says, verse 38. Repent and be... See those things together. Repent, turn from your old life, and be baptized, every one of you. Who? Every one of you. 
everyone. This is an invitation for all to come to the one. That's, that's ultimately what we're doing here. Ba- be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then it says, with any other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation or turn to Jesus, he's saying. Verse 41, look at this. So on that day, day one, those who accepted his message were baptized. We believe. What's next, Peter? You're going to get baptized today. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Picture that scene. Now, to help you picture that scene, I'm going to show you a little, little Instagram story I took that might give you a little more idea of what that looked like the day the first baptisms happened. Let's check it out. So I've come to what is my favorite part so far of the temple area. I just learned from one of our guides, Joel Corvette, who's done such an awesome job for us. Uh, But this area, so these stairs, um, many of them, now this is like uh, multiple layers. So everything here in Jerusalem, especially around the temple, is like multiple layers of history and people laying claim to it. Uh, But these stairs are, you know, built on the original stairs of an entrance to the temple. And so here's like add-ons and then here is like original stone. And this would have been an area for sure that Jesus would have taught, which is really significant. I think that Jesus was teaching at the temple right here at where the gates would have gone in. In fact, you can see where some of the original gate was at one point. Uh, Right up here, see this here, uh, this arch, and above it, you see these stones right here. There would have been a, a gateway, an entry point to the temple right there. But what I found really stirring and moving about this site is it's very likely, in fact, most probable that this is the place where after the day of Pentecost, when the disciples are meeting in the upper room, which would have been not far from here, right over this direction. Uh, They were there, 120 of them waiting. And we know from the book of Acts chapter two, that the spirit of God uh, came in and landed upon them. And the church was born in that moment. And then it tells us that right after that, uh, Peter preached uh, to a crowd and told them the gospel and that 3000 people believed and were baptized that day. So this is a mikvah right here. So there would have been multiple. This was, there were about 50 mikvah here on the southern stairs entering the temple. And this one is right in the very middle between the two entrances of the southern stairs. And when 3,000 were baptized that day at Pentecost, these are the places they were very likely baptized. Probably a lot cleaner at the moment, but uh, so incredible to think about. The reason this is the most likely place is there's no way they would have had 3,000 people in an upper room. So they would have come to this public space, again, not far from where the upper room was. And Peter, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, would have stood right here and declared the gospel of Jesus uh, to the onlookers and the listeners. And 3,000 people 
turned to Jesus that day. And actually, uh, according to Joel, and they have uncovered uh, a whole raft of uh, Jewish mikvahs in this area, which is basically a ceremonial bath. And it's likely that that's where uh, they would have baptized 3,000 people right in this area. So very literally, I'm standing in the place where the church began. And as a pastor, um, nearly 2,000, I guess more than 2,000 years later, uh, it's quite encouraging to think that I come from this place and uh, the same spirit that started it here is uh, in us and on us and moving the church forward even today. Yeah, it just makes me want to say amen. Amen. Yeah, pretty cool, eh? I apologize for the cinematography, but it gives you the idea anyhow. So this is like what we're doing. We're carrying on in the commandment and tradition of the commandment of Jesus and the tradition of the church for 2,000 years, and there's been multiple billion people baptized in Jesus' name. And that's incredible. Really quick, because I just got texted by Pastor Greg that we have 31 people signed up for this service. So I'm going to stop here in like five minutes, but maybe 10. Uh, <laughs> I, want, no, I don't want you to miss the significance. So what is happening when we're baptizing people? What is baptism? Number one, for you note takers, write this down. Ready? We're going to be furious note takers for nine minutes. <laughs> baptism is a declaration of surrender to Jesus. When someone is baptized, that is the ultimate public confession of faith. It is the moment where they stand before witnesses and confess their fidelity to Jesus and their desire to walk with him and cleave to him for the rest of their lives. Now, you're hearing language that you hear in weddings. And very similar to a wedding ceremony is a, bapt a baptism. A baptism is that moment of public profession where your relationship steps into a new dimension where now under the witnesses of relatives and friends and family, you are committing vows for all to hear about the substance or nature of your relationship. And that's ultimately what baptism is all about. It is this condition of the relationship with Jesus. Now, it truly, the same way that if you are dating, dating is different than being married. Correct? Yes, it is. And you can date for a long time. But it is not a, it is not a marriage. A marriage requires that ceremony before God and before people to make that commitment. And that's what makes a marriage. And it's the same with your salvation and your relationship with Jesus. The baptism is the part where it goes public. It's the stamp. It's the moment where it's sealed. The deal is, the, the deal is sealed. Look what Jesus said in Mark. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. You notice though, he says, believes and is baptized. Why? Those two things go together. And some of you are like, well, why is that such a sticking point for Jesus? Why does he care? Why can't I just kind of quietly and privately be a believer? Let me just say this in love. There's no such thing as a private Christian faith. It is a public thing, and it's 
public because it's the same as it would be in marriage. Can you imagine if in 2005 I proposed to my wife, my now wife Melanie, and said, will you marry me? And she said, yes, but I don't want to tell anyone. <laughs> We're going to keep this on the DL between me and you, okay? Uh, can I say? No, I can't say that. Just no. Right? I'm giving all of myself to you, and you have to reciprocate. That is what the, the nature of that relationship is. And it's the same with Jesus. Like, Jesus, ha he feels a certain type of way about us when we refuse to actually go public with our confession of our acceptance of him as our Savior. He once said, he said, like, whoever is ashamed of me before all men, I will be ashamed of them before my Father in heaven. In other words, this is a line-in-the-sand moment where you're saying, I love Jesus and I don't care who knows it and I want the world and the powers and principalities and my friends and neighbors to know I belong to him. It is a declaration of surrender. Number two, it is a separation of the old life into the new. It is the moment where you can look back and say, there is a stake-in-the-ground moment where I stepped from being maybe just like a, a casual believer to being a committed Christian a real disciple, a follower of Jesus. And again, it's very similar to marriage. You know, it, it's, it's a different thing to be getting married and actually have a marriage. And in fact, I go back to my wedding day, and that is a very significant line-in-the-sand moment. And let me tell you something. Just because you are having a wedding doesn't mean you yet have a marriage. And that the marriage is something that came after the wedding. And similar... With baptism, baptism is a beginning. It's a point of entry, not the end of the race. Oh, my goodness, church. It's the, it's the beginning. The same way when I got married to Melanie in 2006. Wow, that sounds like a lot longer ago than it feels. <laughs> and we took our vows. We were having a wedding at that moment. We did not have much of a marriage. And even though we both said, yeah, I do. We had no freaking idea what we did. <laughs> Any married people up in the house that know what I'm talking about. It's like you step into that relationship and then you start to build a marriage. Now we have a marriage. And it's very similar to your walk of faith. The baptism is that line of separation where you step in and say, I belong to Jesus today. There's no turning back. And now I'm building a whole new life in him. But it's a beginning point. It's a point of entry. And, and, and let me just say, for those of you who come from maybe some Christian traditions that put a lot of requirements on your baptism, uh, we don't do that here. And, and the reason we don't do that is because if you read your Bible, you'll see in Acts chapter 2, for instance, Peter said, repent and be baptized. He did not say, repent and then take our catechism course, and when you can pass the test on whether you have a good grasp of penal substitutionary atonement and justification by faith in Christ alone, then you can be baptized. Some of you church people know what I just said there. That's not what he said. He said, repent, turn, give your life to Jesus and be baptized and start into this whole new life. And as you do, he will renew your mind and one day you'll know what penal substitutionary atonement is. And you'll know what the word eschatology means. You're, some of you are like, I've been here 30 years. I don't know what that means. Yes, you do. You were here for the Revelation series, hopefully. 
It's a beginning. Number three, I'm almost done. I told you. I've got like two minutes left. It's an illustration of the gospel. Baptism is a living illustration of the gospel. As you watch these people in just a minute come up and get into the water, and we put them down underneath the water, we say something. You might not hear it, but like when I do a baptism, I'll, I'll say, do you confess to, to believe Jesus is your Savior and you're going to live for him for the rest of your life? And they say, yes, I do. And then we say, on the confession of your faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I will say, and some of the other pastors do it as well, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And that is what's happening. It's a living picture of the gospel. How many know when you come to Jesus, your old life gets buried? Like the, the shame and the sinfulness and the brokenness and the regret and the separation from God and the dysfunction and all the stuff, the big bag of yet that Dan was talking about earlier, we, 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 it gets left in the waters our past is buried. Our old life is buried. Hopelessness, loneliness, shame, all of it buried in his death. And the old me is gone. It's a shedding. It's a washing away. It's one of the reasons we're baptized in water and we do full immersion. I don't want one little part of your old nasty self left over. <laughs> no, it's true. It's the whole, the whole thing. And then we're raised in the likeness of his resurrection. We're made alive. We're made new. A new identity, a new hope, new purpose, new power, new family, new community, new peace, new joy, everything. We receive it in the likeness of his resurrection. Look what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were, say it with me, dead in your sins. So you guys who are getting baptized, remember, there goes the old you. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you, say it, alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. All of them. The, the Greek word in here is this mysterious, quirky word. It means all. <laughs> all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so when we see someone baptized, every time someone goes into that water and comes back up, it tells us the same story. We don't know the details of all their backstories. Some of them will be young kids, some of them will be old, and they've been through some stuff. But they all have the same story. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. But for the grace of God, I am what I am. Every time you see someone go under the water, water it's a giant statement. I was dead, but God raised me up into new life. Last thought. Band's going to come back. The universal sign that I'm landing the plane. <laughs> Baptism is an invitation. It's a living invitation for all who see it. Not just people who haven't been baptized or haven't decided to follow Jesus. I'll talk about you in one second. But for all of us who are already believers and already baptized, you know what one of my favorite parts about baptism is? It reminds me every single time that that's me too. And even though I was saved a lot of years ago, 
how, I don't even know anymore, decades, I was six, like math, and on, sta- math on stage is hard, uh, <laughs> 34 years ago, there we go. I got saved 34 years ago and I meant it, I got baptized when I was 12, I'm not going to try that, 28 years ago, no, anyway. But you know what happens over time? You get, you get in the church and you start to forget that it's by grace that you've been saved. And the idea of your own justification and your own work starts crawling back in and you start to think, oh, maybe it's on me a little bit more than it is. And when I see someone baptized, I'm reminded over and over and over and over again, it's but for the grace of God, I am what I am. It's his grace that has saved me that no one can boast. And so every time I see someone go under there, you know, one thing it does, it levels my pride. Just says, oh, you don't, you don't get to wear a crown. You don't walk with a swagger in the kingdom of God. All of us were lost and found. All of us have nothing. We came with nothing, and he gave us everything. Amen? It also reminds those of us who have been serving Jesus for a long time that haven't been getting it right. Anybody honest in church? Anybody, anybody ever noticed that following Jesus isn't that easy? And it's a lot of this. And a lot of toe-stubbing and saying things you didn't mean and flipping people off when you're driving and all that stuff. Y'all, you're still works in progress. But you know what the devil will try to do? They'll try to come in and say, oh, yeah, see, you're not really a Christian. Condemnation and shame. And you know what happens every time I see someone go under that water? I'm reminded, oh, yes. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, condemnation for him who is in Christ Jesus. That I am covered that he is not holding, someone needs to hear this because you're walking in shame. If you are in Christ, he does not hold your sins against you. They have been buried with him. And so when I see somebody coming out of the water soaking wet, it reminds me, oh yeah, I might have dried off from my baptism, but I'm still soaked in the grace of Jesus. Come on, somebody. I am still drenched in his grace. Lastly, it is an invitation to those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus yet. It is a moment where you can come and you can confess that I need Jesus too. I need hope too. I need a fresh start too. I need a true king too. I need life that I can't generate for myself. I need a savior. And that's what I love about this story in Acts chapter 2, that 3,000 that day, they heard the gospel and immediately said, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Can you imagine 3,000, just one right after another, right after another? And if you're here today, and you're like, man, that sounds so good. Would Jesus save me? Every time you see somebody go under there, the answer is a resounding yes. He sure would. Can somebody just back me up on this? Can you just let, let, let's let the person that's in here today that would say, yeah, but you don't know what I did, uh, Look around. There's a lot of shameful stuff that's been accumulated in this room by all of us that have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. There is no sin too great that his blood cannot cover. So, stand to your feet. We are going to celebrate the beauty and power of the gospel fleshed out right before our eyes as we see people make their confession. Let's pray as we welcome our kids in. Kids, come on in. Let's just pray and welcome the Holy Spirit. So we say, come Holy Spirit. 
You are the one who penetrates our hearts and our minds. And we pray right now for the one who's believed for a long time. Would you renew our joy, renew the joy of salvation in us. And God, we pray for the one who seems like they're on the outside looking in. Lord, would this be the day they repent and are baptized in Jesus' name? And Father, I pray finally for every single person who's getting baptized. Would you seal this moment on their hearts? Come on, agree with me. Seal this moment on their hearts, oh God. And would this be a moment that the devil could never call into question, but it would stand as a pillar, a beacon of faith, and a beacon of the salvation of God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen. Let's celebrate. Come on.